Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The latest Belfast Telegraph Lucid Talk polling is in. It shows the DUP support is down following Geoffrey Donaldson's decision to lead his MLAs back to Stormont. We are pleased to be here this morning for the restoration of our Northern Ireland Assembly and Executive. My party has delivered what many said we couldn't and I believe that today is a good day for Northern Ireland. Michelle O'Neill's popularity has seen a bounce. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Two weeks in. Two weeks in. You said it was a big day for the parish. Does it still feel like (laughs) a big day for the parish? It certainly has. Been a bit of a whirlwind for the past two weeks. Very busy, but very good. And Alliance have seen a wee dip in support. But let's face it, what people have been talking about are the results around the big question. The United Kingdom or a United Ireland. That massive wave of the census showed higher rate of nationalist youth. And, you know, that is a demographic time bomb for unionism and it's something that they're going to have to address. I'm joined by Bill White, head of Lucid Talk, commentator Alex Keane and our very own Alison Morris. I know some will want me to get stuck in to the question of a united Ireland and I'd say don't worry it will come but first we're going to start with party support because that's what we always do and that's where I like to start Bill do you want to tell us the latest Lucid Talk polling on party support so it's coming in at Sinn Féin are exactly the same as they were in the last poll in our uh, autumn poll uh, 31% no change very solid Um, interestingly that's a little bit contrary to what's happening in the south of Ireland where they're dipping a little bit in the polls or a fair bit in the polls and they're back to where they were about three years ago in terms of the polling uh, in the Republic of Ireland the DUP as you've just mentioned yes are down four points they were 28% uh, 28 in our autumn poll they're down to 24% Alliance have dipped a couple of points to 14%. The three um, parties that are moving upwards in terms of trend are the UUP on 10%, but they were on 10, 11%. They dropped to 8% and they're now back up to 10%. The SDLP had dropped from their Northern Ireland Assembly performance uh, down to 6%. They're now back up to 7%. And the TUV's got a little two-point bounce from 4% to 6%, which is still behind what they scored in the Northern Ireland Assembly election, of course. Green Party are down one PBB, the people before profit are on uh, the same at 1%. On two have got a little jump up to 2%, and then the others in independence are on 4%. So that's the quick summary of, of the polling figures. Alex, I think we could say DUP down 4%. That's not too bad when you consider 
what's just happened, I suppose, that Jeffrey Donaldson has decided to disappoint a section of his own support. He says he's, he's vindicated. What do you think? Well, I, I think it's much better than they were expecting because I think they, some of them thought it could be an 8% drop. And the, the big worry, of course, that an 8% drop, all of which would have gone to the TUV, that would have been the, that would have been the double whammy for them. So bringing it down just 4%, they'll have been happy enough with that because uh, they, they can contain that. They'll also be happy enough the TUV didn't get the bump. A couple of percent to the UUP. That won't worry them in the slightest because the UUP's on the same page as them. So they add up the figures, 24 DUP, 10 UUP, 34, you know, which you could say, maybe not loving it and wanting to embrace it and things like that, but certainly accepting the new reality compared to, to, to Jim's 6%. See, I think the DUP will have... They know there are problems coming down because I remember the last time we did this this podcast, I, I, I made the point that um, you deal... When you ask people the question, you deal with what the situation is at the time. You ask people when the Assembly's boycotted and you're, you're the parties you like are boycotting it, you know, they'll say, yes, keep up the boycott till we get what we want. You ask them a few months later when it, uh, the circumstances have changed, the parties are doing something slightly different. Can you live with this? Are you happy enough with that? Most peop- most party supporters will. I think it's a well-known trend. Bill will know this, that you tend to fall in behind the leader. You tend to fall in behind, you know, the biggest party on your own side and so on. So I think all, I, there's nothing, I suppose what it boils down to, I don't want to disappoint Bill by saying this, there was nothing in the poll really surprised me in terms of, of where they were going and what's happening. Can I ask a technical question? Because Alex said something fascinating there. You said Jim, change. Jim's support. In other words, you just you just didn't say TUV. You said Jim's support. Because the TUV, it's 6%. They're up 2%. It's a proportional representation uh, system. Uh, like people before profit are down at you know one percent, they get about two percent of vote. Why do they end up with the same number of um, MLAs? Well, yeah, you say it's a proportional representation system, but like all election systems, there's you know it doesn't work perfectly. The classic example of this was the last Northern Ireland Assembly election, where Alliance got thirteen and a half percent, thirteen point six percent of the vote. We predicted them at thirteen point five. I have to throw that in there. We got it within zero point one percent, which, to be fair, is a good shows our good professional approach, but it also shows an element of a little bit of luck because it's pretty hard to get it that close. But anyway, uh, 13.5%. Um, the TUV came in at 7.6%. They get one seat. Alliance gets 17 seats. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's just the luck went with Alliance in terms of the transfers. They're 10 times more, 100 times more transfer friendly than the TUV. Um, but it, so it's not proportional in that sense. <clears throat> the TUV were very unlucky at the last election, to use that term. Um, it's uh, the 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 transfers didn't break for them. They came very close in a couple of seats, particularly in Strangford. Um, but that's just the anomaly you have within the um, port proportional representation system. Alison, how do you think Jeffrey Donaldson's really feeling? Do you think he'll be happy enough that it that it could have been worse and that he can he can claw back this four percent? He, he's apparently delighted. I have heard that he is beaming from ear to ear and at, um, at the the poll results because they're better than he could have expected because he knew he was taking a risk going in back into Stormont without his full party behind him, um, without. I think he's less than half of his MPs behind this deal. So it was a big risk that he took. But I would argue probably staying out much longer was a, was a bigger risk because 
people have patience for that for a while and they really supported Sinn Féin found out when they collapsed the Assembly you know their popularity was never higher there was an election during that time the nationalist vote was came out in bigger numbers than ever but then events and events are all a part and, and building all events are part of Poland because one event can change um, the results because it's a snapshot of public opinion at a certain time um, events changed that and in that case it was the nurses strike that, that changed that and really brought um, the parties back to the table in this case I think it's just the dragon on of this and the fact that the British government kept saying negotiations are over and this deal isn't going to change. Um, I do think that he had to then play his hand at some point. So he will be delighted because 4% while it's a drop, it could, it can be regained. The problem is he needs some political successes under his belt between now and the general election, which remember is the first past the post. So those that change um, in terms of um, in terms of that percentage vote the TUV taking votes, even if they only took 4%, even if 5% went to other places, it could be quite damaging, especially in some certain constituencies. And so Jeffrey Donaldson will know that and he knows the race is now on to try and make this look like this was the best idea ever, that the state is great, look what we're delivering. Um, and he'll want that between now and if there's any political crisis between now and the general election, well then that could be quite damaging. Not that you know, um, Jim Allister's going to win any seats, he doesn't need to, he could take votes and what we've also been told is that there could be some of those you know anti-sea border candidates running in other places knowing that they have an open hell of winning but just that that would split the vote further and you know the DUP are not going to want, want to do that now whether any hardline unionist wants to be seen to split the vote and allow to say an alliance um, an alliance party MP to take a, a DUP seat I don't think that's going to be the, the case but even the threat of that looming over him he not want but yeah right now I think he believes that this was a good deal that it's going well and he'll be pleased with those poll results because the the 4% drop is not the only figure in there remember there was also a figure in terms of unionist support for returning um, and that was quite high whereas in previous polls that had showed that his that sort of abstentionist policy that's staying out was actually quite popular among his own voters People follow the leader yeah, can I just, just following on Alison's point there, I think the key difference that Donaldson has now, if you go back to the, the time of the trouble with Trimble and the, the, the internal fight he had, the DUP presented itself very cleverly as a, not the, the wrecking party, not that we're totally against this. It became the better deal, the fair deal, do things differently. If the TUV, and they're not going to, but if the TUV was taking that line and saying, we're not against devolution as such, we're not against this, we just want a better form of devolution. We want a few protections built in there. Jeffrey moved too quickly, he gave in too quickly. The longer the TUV and some new generation loyalists say over and over and over again, this is a sellout, this is surrender, and the more Jeffrey can say, well, what's your alternative? What are you offering? Where, where, where are your proposals? The easier it is for him. The biggest difficulty for Donaldson was would be uh, that sense of there being a, a genuine choice because if you weren't happy with the UUP the DUP were a big, well-funded well-organised, articulate party good leadership, good candidates there is nobody to the right of the DUP right now and no disrespect I know people in the TUV some friends in the TUV but they don't have the machinery, they don't have the organisation, they don't have the people to actually mount the sort of challenge and you can make as much noise as you like, the reality 
reality is when people vote, they tend to like voting for something which resembles either certainty or something that might actually make a difference to their lives. And at the minute, there's no one to the right of the DUP I doing think, that. I think it's Jim Allister's strength is that he's a purist and that a he purist, doesn't yes, change yeah. position and that people know what they're getting. That's also his greatest weakness yeah, because absolutely. Um, that's just not how life is. You know, places change. We do not now live in, you know, 1940s, you know, Ulster. We do not now live in the, the world that Jim harks back to. Um, and there's people will admire the fact that he doesn't change and um, that he has stayed exactly the same person throughout his entire political career and his views have never changed. But in terms of transfers, in terms of younger voters, in terms of people whose just lives don't hark back to that time, um, he struggles in terms of that. He'll always have his real core support because of that. But that's also his, his weakness as well. And he also left, don't forget as well, Jim also left the DUP in the 1980s and left them again in 2007. <laughs> so this is a guy who, as Alison says, is so purist yeah. that the slightest deviation from his real world view will we'll get him out of the party. And he will find that. If his party were, it's again another irony, if the TUV, if he was to build up a few and ended up with, you know, a couple of um, MLAs or whole phalanx of councillors and so on, within a matter of months, it would go exactly the same way as Bob McCartney's party. Because Jim is so purist, unless you're attracting purists to you, you're going to have people say, well, hang on, I've got a seat now. I'm not sure I want to give it up just for this. So I think it, you, purism does not win elections. I think it's important to point out as well. I mean, the DUP on 24%, down four, four points on our previous poll, are still 3% ahead of what they scored mm. at the Northern Ireland Assembly election. The TUV are down two points, uh, yeah. and roughly, in what they scored at the Northern Ireland Assembly election. And I think actually that's a, a culture that's just talking to some people in the DUP. There's a, still a nervousness in the DUP about moving, going back into Stormont. They wanted to wait till they were absolutely sure that they were going to bring the majority or they thought they were going to bring the majority of their supporter base with them. And, you know, that has taken two years since the roughly the Northern Ireland Assembly election. People underestimate that Northern Ireland Assembly election result. That was a devastating result for the DUP. That's not the poll. That was an election. They, they dropped their poll, they dropped their vote about a third. They were polling up around 30% in Westminster um, Assembly elections. They dropped around 20%. And the second point is they weren't actually expecting it. I found out after the event, they of course, they were going to take a hit in the Northern Ireland Assembly election. They're not that naive. But their election managers thought it'd be around 26%, mm. 27%. They dropped to around 20%. And that really can shake your confidence. And that sort of lack of confidence and nervousness is still within the DUP. Even to this day, even though they've gone back into Stormont, they're still, although Alex is saying about the right wing not being there, they're still nervous about that. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, that TUV threat, because the TUV scored nearly 8% in the Northern Ireland Assembly election. But even those in the DUP, who we know, their views are probably closer aligned to Jim Allister's than they are to Geoffrey Donaldson's. They know not to leave because they know they were get elected as members of the TUV, so they stay there. But even those people who would have caused real problems for, like, even say someone like Arling Foster in the past, they haven't really caused that much bother. Now, some of them have stood up in the Lords or stood up in Westminster and made speeches, but what they haven't, um, what they haven't done is they haven't come out into the media, they haven't publicly slated their leader, they haven't slated the deal. They've made speeches which are quite technical in terms of what the deal is delivered and not. So I do think that um, while he hasn't brought them all along, even those who are against him aren't actually going for him and that's interesting as well. That's key and I also think it's because there's no um, there's no candidate 
around whom they're all willing to gather. Because if you talk to them privately, they'll say, well, what about so-and-so as the leader? You know, nope. If you go back to the time Donaldson, Donaldson was, he was the perceived leader of the Ulster Unionist Party. Yeah. He was the one that was going to take over for Trimble. And then when he re- at that point, he realised that wasn't going to happen because Trimble was clinging on to that hardcore who were always going to stay UUP. And I say, again, Donaldson doesn't have, there's no one, I can think of no one right now in the Democratic Unionist Party, a senior enough figure who, if they said the words, Jeff you're going and I'm going to get you out of this party. I cannot think of one person who has that authority to do that. And last year we had a farcical summer, I think it was, for the DUP in in terms of leadership and, you know, they don't want a repeat of that. No, they, they, they got their fingers very badly burned. That was the Foster, Pooch, Donaldson thing. They don't. Want, they know that damage. And the other thing in politics, no matter how angry you are with the leader, no matter how angry you are with some of the policies, people who belong to political parties, they like to see their party win. They want to be part of a winning party, not of a fraxis. And many of those people in the DUP who are making key decisions right now are the people who were saying back in Tribble's time, the reason they are not fit to lead unionism is they're so dysfunctional. They do n- they've do. they seen what dysfunction looks like. They're not going back there. Alison, you said that Geoffrey Donaldson was beaming. Well, if Geoffrey Donaldson is beaming, Michelle O'Neill seems to be basking in glory, whether that's the right thing to be doing or not. She seems to be enjoying herself. She seems to me to be totally reassured. Um, of course, she's seen off a, what people tell me was a genuine leadership challenge, which incredibly doesn't seem to have left any bitterness, at least apart from the from the outside. I mean, she's on the late, late and everything. Um, I think it's been really interesting watching Michelle O'Neill develop and I suppose mature and relax into that role because she was quite nervous. She was the person Martin McGuinness chose to take over for him and he was very, very ill at the time. He knew he was dying um, and he handpicked her. And that's there's a lot of responsibility, especially in Republican circles that you know that you were the person chosen by Martin McGuinness. She seemed very nervous at the start and the biggest criticism of her was this woman is just a puppet. You know, it's the men behind her that are controlling her. And one of the best things that could ever have happened to Michelle O'Neill was when COVID hit and you weren't allowed those people behind you and she had to come out and stand as the Deputy First Minister then speak on her own. She's had a trial run as Deputy First Minister, so she knows that office very well. And now as the First Minister, she looks incredibly relaxed. And I think that one of the things as well, the differences between her and maybe Dermot Little-Pangeli is that... um, she has a really good team behind her. People who, you know, wouldn't be household names, people like Steve McGlade, who's one of her advisors, who are very smart and very clued in and are giving her advice and pointing her in the right direction. I think a lot of times when they're showing up at events, and I have been at events, and you see that Michelle shows up with her team with her, looking really confident and really happy in that position. And Emma Little-Pangeli gets out of the car on her own, you know, so she's by herself. I think she's quite personable and in real life she's, you know, she's a lovely person, she's a people person, she gets on really easy with people of all ages, um, all generations. I think the headline on, on one of my articles was it was a risky move and people thought I meant risky move in choosing her. The risky move they've taken is those decisions in the past year or so. So attending the Queen's funeral I don't think was that particularly risky because it's a funeral and you show respect at a funeral and, you know, decency. Um, and especially the Queen, you know, had met with Martin McGuinness. She had spoken Irish in the Garden, you know, visited the Garden Remembrance. She'd made all of these outreach moves. And so I don't think that was as risky a move as a tent in the coronation. The coronation's a big celebration. It's a celebration of Britishness, a celebration of the monarchy. And that, at the time, I thought, now that is a risk. 
doing that, will she be punished or will, you know, Sinn Féin be punished for that? But they weren't. People actually, I think, appreciated that, especially people who maybe wouldn't be traditionally Sinn Féin voters. And what she's also got on her favour is that there is a growing nationalist middle class. There's an energy around that nationalist community. First generation middle class, or first generation professionals, let's face it, you know, people like me who had, you know, very working class parents. Will you see them now, you know, they're, the Sinn Féin voters here taking their politics to other areas, taking them to more affluent areas. But when they move, they take their politics with them. And so you can see that in the growing Sinn Féin vote. But I think she's very happy and comfortable. She looks very happy and comfortable. She doesn't look as nervous. And I do think doing those later interviews, like Good Morning Britain and The Late Late, they suit her. They suit her, her style, you know, um, maybe more than some of the sort of harder political ones. But Michelle O'Neill's popularity is reflected in our polling. Uh, indeed, yes, indeed. We do leadership ratings, uh, polling every six months, actually, we do it now. Just asking people, do you please rate the following political leaders from good, very good, to bad, very bad, neutral? And um, Michelle O'Neill comes out as the uh, on the top of that league. Um, she advanced 25 points in that um, leadership rating polls. And um, Jeffrey also advanced 30 points um, but mostly because he stopped, he, he up until recently, he got very negative scores from the nationalist and Republican community and alliance community. Um, but now he's getting reasonable scores. Um, and also he's getting reasonable scores um, from the unionist community. But that score is mostly driven up because of the nationalist community, because he's gone back into Stormont. And remember, this poll was taken after the uh, DUP went back to Stormont. Uh, he's advanced 30 points. And um, Jim Allister's dropped... 10 points. He was the only one actually in the whole of the leadership poll who dropped in this leadership ratings poll. Uh, Nomi Long advanced a small amount, so the columnist with Doug Beattie. Interesting enough, Rishi Sunak and Chris Heaton Harris, you sort of have to feel sorry for them. <laughs> Relentlessly in our polls, um, they score very near the minus 100, which is the maximum ne- negative score you can get. Alliance's vote has gone down 2%. Have we seen a peak in Alliance? Does anybody want to have a punt at that one? Well, they're still ahead of what they scored at the 2022 uh, Northern Ireland Assembly election. Uh, well, just one point higher, actually. Uh, they did go up to about 16, 17% in our polls, uh, and then they've dropped, as you say, in this poll. I think what they've they've got a little bit squeezed in this poll with all the Ferrari with going back to Stormont. Remember, this poll was taken a week after the DUP decided to go back to Stormont, so people knew they'd already seen Stormont up and working again, the First Minister, Deputy First Minister, etc. So I think they've got squeezed slightly in that people feel that Doug Beattie maybe perhaps has been proven right. There's a small proportion there if that vote's gone to the UUP. Hence the UUP are up two points. Um, so they, they, that may have affected it a little bit, but it's, it's not this two-point drop. But they haven't been prominent in the media. The media have been interested quite naturally in the DUP position, a little bit in the Sinn Féin position, but also the UUP position, the TUV position and Jamie Bryson and that. And that's been all the debate up until a couple of weeks ago. So now the government's back up and working. Alliance of ministers, there'll be a higher profile in the media. So we may see that score improving again in future polls. Just the thing about the Alliance Party, particularly with uh, Sinn Féin in in, in the First Minister role, and particularly with the fact that um, unionism is no longer a majority since 2017 in the Assembly, no longer a majority in terms of sending MPs to Westminster. And the talk on both sides of the border now from Sinn Féin about, you know, setting the terms and conditions for a border poll and what you need and so on. I think the Alliance Party now, in a way which it didn't, I think part of its growth post-Brexit 
was because there was there was anger, there was confusion. Alliance was almost like a, a safe haven for people on both sides. But I think Alliance is now going to come under enormous pressure from both unionism and nationalism to say the, the, the line, oh, we're agnostic on the union, oh, we'll decide on the day. I don't think they're going to get away with that uh, much longer. And I, I just personally believe, I have no evidence of this, no pulling in this, I just personally believe Alliance will come under huge pressure to say, but where do you stand on the ultimate question? And that we will see in the polls over the next two or three years maybe, but I would not be surprised because I've said this before in this podcast, I don't think Alliance is a natural middle party. I think it's just a party stuck between republicanism and unionism, but that doesn't make you a centrist party. It just makes you a party stuck between, if you like, two sorts of extremes. I, I, I agree. The, the role's going to plateau eventually anyway, but I think that Alliance's rise has been at the expense of the Ulster Unionist Party. So we assume the vast majority of their voters, and they will argue that's not the case, but the vast majority of them are small new unionists who just didn't have a home, you know, along with people who clearly didn't vote before and then think that they are more aligned to the middle ground. And the census shows, you know, if we look at at those figures, since we're on a stat run today, um, that there are people who consider themselves neither British nor Irish. They consider themselves Northern Irish. We assume those people would vote for the Alliance. But the issue that I do think, and and Alex is right, they are going to have to make a decision soon. They were able to get away with it in a a period of political instability because they go, oh, well, look, let's not worry about that. Let's worry about getting things stable in government running. Once government's running and stable, there's nowhere to hide in terms of that question. And one of the really interesting things about um, Bill's Lucid Talk poll was that while the majority were in favour of retaining the status quo, when you asked them um, did they feel that that would be the case forever, that changed really, really dramatically. You know, these are people who know that they're going to have to make a decision on this at some point in their life. You know, they're going to have to make a decision on it, which means the Alliance Party itself will have to make a decision. And then they risk alienating, first of all, the unionist voters who vote for them, because we know the majority of them are unionists, but they do get a lot of transfers from other places as well. So, you know, that's why they've not come out until now, because it is a path paved with peril once they do announce where they stand. Or they could just give a free vote to their members and say, well, people can campaign for whatever they want. But that's not, you know, um, a realistic position. A political party, especially something as huge as, you know, the the constitutional question is going to have to take a stance. And it's it's going to be really, I think, a, a difficult road for them ahead. Jim Allister has been described as the conscience of unionism. People think he's useful there. He, he keeps the DUP on the straight and narrow. He's a purist, as Alex has described him. That's been suggested to me about people before profit. Now, they are, they would describe themselves as a socialist party, um, but they can afford to take, I suppose, purist stances on the left and certainly in recent weeks, Sinn Féin's stance on Israel-Palestine has been compared in an unfavourable sense to people before profit. And because of the Palestine-Israeli conflict, people before profit have been really prominent in the news and in protests, but they're going nowhere in terms of electoral support. Why is that? Well, it wasn't always the case. We're flying at one point, you know, when um, Jerry Carroll first got elected to the Assembly, he could have arguably at that time taken someone else with him. Um, His first preference votes were so high. I think Brexit killed them. You know, they were in favour of Brexit for those sort of socialist purist, you know, reasons. But their voters would have been quite young, that quite sort of socialist, you know, that idealist, the way you are when you're that age. Um, And, you know, those are also people who 
EU membership brought great opportunities to as well. I don't think that played out. Brexit seemed you can see that the the decline in their vote came right after Brexit, and then they get they get squeezed out by Sinn Féin when it comes to when we seen Sinn Féin moving and they were just right at the point of becoming the largest party and overtaking in unionism are going to lose their majority that would have brought a lot of voters who would have said well let's vote for Sinn Féin you know they're quite similar in terms of, of policies and a lot of things obviously on Palestine and things like that it's it's quite different um, you know I, I love when I get the manifestos coming up the elections people before profits always my favourite one because ideally it's how I would like to live my life in a world where everyone gets everything that they want. I know that I, you know, I'm a socialist at heart, but the the fact is that, you know, you can, if you can write checks, you don't ever have to cash if you're in people before profit because it's no, you're never going to have to. So for some people, when they saw our latest polling on the front page of the Belfast Telegraph, for them, they thought that a united Ireland is coming within 10 years. For others, it's as far away as ever. For some, the union is rock solid and for some others, it's hold below the waterline. Bill, what are the facts? <laughs> well, we did, we, we polled uh, three questions within this topic of the constitutional position of Northern Ireland. First one was, you've just touched on it there, when should a border poll take place? Or, and the option is, there should never be a Northern Ireland border poll. And then we did the classic Northern Ireland border poll question, as you would expect, if there was a referendum, would you support a United Ireland or would you support Northern Ireland remaining in the UK? And then we did an what's termed an aspirational question, asking people, well, look, do you support United Ireland now, do you think you would support a United Ireland or possibly support a United Ireland in 10, 15, 20 years time or beyond? That was the third question we asked. In terms of the timing, um, it came through reasonably strongly that most people believe there should be a border poll, but most people thought it should take place in about three to 10 years time, 35% or the larger part thought it should take place in that time period, 13% beyond that, 10% even beyond 20 years but if you add it up totally you know that um, adds up to what is it 58 that adds up to about 70% um, of people think there should be a border poll at some stage with about 23% thinking it should be way way distant into the future 28% say there should never be a border poll and when you dil- drill in or sorry drill into those figures it's not surprising you find that 90% of them are from the DUP TUV a substantial section of the UUP as well from the unionist voter base and then there's 5% don't know, not sure. There is a kicking the can down the road type of concept with this question. So, it, But it does give you a broad feel that the majority of people do accept that the border poll is on the agenda and it should or probably will happen at some stage in the future. The timing of that is still up for grabs and up for debate. What I thought was really interesting about this latest poll, and obviously it's the first one of 2024 that's, that's asked these questions, is that the, the figures, although they've obviously changed if you put it in you know, 10 years, 15 years time, but in the last few years, the figures for and against don't really change that much. They go up and down a couple of points. And that's the same for every poll that you look at. They'll be pretty much fairly, you know, pretty much the same. But when we drill down, which is what we do, you know, as, as journalists and like when you go down the demographics and start going down the ages, well, then the people who want to United Ireland and those younger age groups increases dramatically. That takes us just up to the 50 percent or slightly over. And so you can see that if you were of the unionist school of stick your head in the sand and don't talk about it, it'll never happen, that that is a dangerous road to take. I mean, I think 
when you look at that, you can see why when you look at those younger figures and what they say, why Sinn Féin have come up with this decade of opportunity slogan. And I'm, you know, it said I'm not sure who in Sinn Féin come up with this, but whoever it is, I love a good political slogan anyway. But a decade of opportunities is a good one because it gives them space and time for this debate. And it also shows that, you know, they're going to rely on those younger voters are going to be the people, not just the middle ground, which they talk about all the time. That's the middle ground will decide, the undecided. It's also those, that massive, you know, wave of the census showed obviously it slows down because our population growth slows down but right now you're still getting that um, higher rate of nationalist youth, they're relying on them um, and you know that that is a, a demographic time bomb for unionism and it's something that they're going to have to address But it does Alex, it does tell me uh, that description, it almost tells me that this battle was won or lost in family affairs 50 years ago and it's not a battle of ideas at all and I suppose if unionism puts their head in the sand it'll never be a battle of ideas so should unionists try and turn it into a battle of ideas? Yes, because um, every political ideology doesn't matter where it is in the world doesn't matter where it is in Ireland it's about focusing the people who share a common belief or a common you know, constitutional belief or a common societal economic belief. It's focusing those people, harnessing those people and herding them in the same direction. And the trouble with unionism, you can make all sorts of arguments and all sorts of opinion polls and say, oh, even if there was a border poll, you know, the union's still safe, it's still solid, it's still secure. Look at the legislation, look at this, look at all of these other things. Doesn't matter. All that matters and the only thing unionism needs to focus on right now is exactly what Sinn Féin and nationalism, broader republicanism is focusing on. There is almost certainly going to be a border poll within 20 years. It may come sooner than that. 20 years sounds an extraordinary long time. I won't be here to comment on it, sadly. But, you know, it's going to be happening. And when you know, when you know something is inevitable, and the number of times I've heard unions say to me, oh, that's not inevitable. And it is, it becomes inevitable because it ends up with that. They go, oh, we didn't see that coming. There's a border poll coming. If unionism wants to unite together and make this place work, then it has to unite together and make this place work. I can understand why unionists don't want to have the conversation with non-unionists about the United Ireland or border poll, but they need to talk to each other. Because if you went into any room, and I've done this, you ask a room, you're talking to 100 nationalists in a room, and you just give me the key words, just randomly point a finger at people, they will give you the same two or three words over and over again. Do that in a room full of unionists. And they'll, they'll give you entirely different points of view. And that's it. Unionism needs to understand itself first. So if unionism wants to preserve the union, which is about uniting people in the one dream, it also needs to find a way of stopping dividing on every single issue it confronts itself with. I think it's really, really interesting what you said there, Alex, because they don't need to make the case and my children and grandchildren I genuinely do believe will live in a united Ireland at some point they'll live albeit a new Ireland the case for the union it's not even shouldn't, it's not even for making to people like you because as you've said I mean you're a union sending not be around it's your children that they need to convince it's Absolutely. those young yeah. people yeah. who have aspirations and dreams which have nothing to do with an ideology they're to do with their future mm-hmm. I just wonder Bill and I'm going to ask you about national identity and I don't want to get myself cancelled here but I'm aware that we're sitting in Belfast and we're discussing this in a certain Belfast way, but perhaps we're all lying to ourselves here. Perhaps we're all lying to ourselves and perhaps this is identity. Perhaps the reason why people want a united Ireland is because despite 400 years of slight mixing, the truth is that they descend from people 
who were here before the plantation. There are people in the next townland. And that townland was cheated, surrendered by the local Gaelic chieftain to someone from London and he has planted people on that and those people identify themselves with a different identity for the simple fact is they perceive themselves as not descending from the people in Ireland before the plantation. They perceive themselves as people off the plantation. Now, we, we're not going to go through everyone's DNA, of course we're not, but maybe it's just as simple as that. Maybe it's as primitive as that. We did ask in the poll, what are the criteria and what are the factors you would consider when making up your mind what way to vote in the Northern Ireland border poll? And obviously we give options on the health service, business and the environment. Would it would it be violence, etc.? But we also had an option, look, I'm voting because it's the way I feel. I'm Irish. I would vote for United Ireland regardless of any of the economic opportunities. And likewise, on the other side, uh, you know, I would vote to remain in the UK because I feel British. That's me. That's my culture. Now, that actually came out, those options came out um, pretty strong. 33% of people said of the overall poll, that is their criteria. They're not interested in the health service. They're not interested particularly in jobs. They're going to vote the way they feel. Of that, if you look at the unionists, the unionists actually feel more strongly that 48% of unionists said they'd vote for Northern Ireland to stay in the UK just because they feel British and that's the way it is. Uh, it's less so, but still pretty strong on the nationalist Republican side. It's 28%. But, um, the nationalists are also considering, although there's a criteria, there's 57% said, yes, I feel Irish, but I want to know a few questions about other things like the health service, like pensions. This isn't surprising, actually, because remember, United Ireland is the unknown. Northern Ireland is the known. So quite naturally, even if people you know feel a strong um, inclination towards a United Ireland, they'll probably want to know some practical questions that probably paid into a British pension fund. They probably want to know about the health service. So, But that doesn't mean they don't feel Irish and they would support a United Ireland. They just like a few questions asked about how a United or three questions answered of, of how a United Ireland would work. But your point's a good one. The national sort of how I feel is much stronger in constitutional type polls and people sometimes, um, you know, give them credit for. Um, it came through in the Scottish referendum. It came through to an extent in the EU referendum. There's a massive strong campaign for a main economy. There was stories of millions of job losses, this, that, all the rest of it. And still, you know, okay, it was narrow, but there was still a substantial chunk of people went out and voted, you know, in that sense, voted for the change, voted to leave the European Union. So because why? When they actually did the post-referendum um, research, they found out that people said, no, take back control. I want to feel I'm in an independent country. I want that feeling uh, of nationality, of being British, of being alone, that type of thing. Thing, which is much stronger in the EU referendum. And, and, they, and they won. They won at the end of the day. They won it narrowly, but they won, yes, indeed. It was a substantial It was a substantial contributory factor to the Leave side uh, winning. Just to complete the, um, the results that we got from the Northern Ireland constitutional polling questions, we did a, a question on, as I did say earlier, on aspiration. And actually, that's to try to tease out um, what... What is the level of aspiration towards the United Ireland? Not just people who would vote for United Ireland today, but would they consider voting for United Ireland 10, 15, 20 years down the line? Now, that came out with slightly different results, as you would expect. There's 38% would still vote for United Ireland.
Ireland today, there's 39% in the overall poll. So that dropped slightly. It's 38% say, you know, so that's still the same roughly the result. 14% said uh, that they would consider voting for United Ireland at some point in the future. They may think about it if there was a border referendum 10, 15, 20 years' time. 44% uh, said they still support Northern Ireland to remain in the UK. 4% don't know, not sure, make up their mind in the day, that type of thing. So that's that's 52% either would vote for United Ireland today or have an aspiration, maybe perhaps would have an aspiration towards voting or would think about voting for it. And 44% still say they'd vote in the UK. So there's a slight majority for the pro-United Ireland side. Again, reflecting the demographics that Alison has pointed out, that the younger age groups would consider voting for United Ireland or may well do. So that's the trend and that's the battle for unionism because there is that trend. It's small. It's a small majority in terms of the aspiration, but it's there and it could grow over the next four, five, seven, ten years. Alex, Alison, Bill, thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.